0: Good morning and welcome to Grace City. I didn't actually just meet you yet. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community. I'm feeling like y'all are being a little passive-aggressive towards me right now and that there's three rows that are wide open, and so I don't know if I like didn't take a shower, if this is like the splash zone or the spit zone or something like that. So, but anyways, I was like, do I come down? I'll respect it. I'll stay up here. So, uh, but hey, look, um, I, I want to just kind of reiterate what Matt said earlier. This past week, uh, VBS was awesome. It was so great to see all the kids come out and, uh, and, and hear the gospel and get connected and have fun, and uh, so if you had a hand in volunteering for that, thank you so much. If you prayed for us, thank you uh, with that, and then if, if you kind of missed that one, hey, we are doing it again next year, and, uh, and we're already beginning to kind of pray for uh, next year's VBS. So uh, I don't know if Matt said the, th- the theme of next year's VBS earlier, uh, I, w- I was talking with someone in the back, but I always chuckle whenever he says it, because next year's theme is In the Jungle, and I'm already thinking of the Guns N' Roses Welcome to the Jungle promo video that it's going to be great for VBS, and so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't know if the lyrics will work very well, but uh, but anyways, so uh, yeah, so there you go. Hey, look, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 tells the story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal and Asherah. It's the Old Testament equivalent of a battle royale. Like, it is a showdown in the wild, wild west. Uh, King Ahab has proven to be a wicked king over Israel. He has uh, allowed for the worship of false gods and goddesses to happen in the land of Israel. And and Elijah has called him out on it, saying this is not something that, that needs to happen. Once more, Ahab has, has tried to eradicate all the prophets of Israel that would, that would turn Israel back to worship of the one true God. He is literally trying to eliminate and kill off the competition. And so many prophets have been put to death, many prophets are being killed, and, and Ahab's trying to uh, just, uh, again, eradicate any mention of worship of the one true God. In judgment for this, God sends a drought onto Israel, and Elijah tells Ahab, hey, all of Israel is going to experience this drought, this famine. You, you will know the pain and suffering and hardship of being in a land where there's, there's no water, no water for crops or for livestock or, or just to bring vitality to life. Israel will know the, the hardship of a drought, and it's not just because Ahab, because all Israel followed King Ahab's lead, and, and Israel as well turned their back on the one true God. Understandably, that makes Ahab angry. And so he ramps up his pressure even more, trying to kill off the prophets. Most notably, he's trying to kill Elijah. So Elijah goes into hiding. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah comes out of hiding, and he calls out Ahab, and he calls out all the false prophets because he wants a showdown. It's the equivalent of meet me under the bleachers after school. Like, that's what we're dropping in on in 1 Kings chapter 18. And so let's pick it up. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. This is King Ahab speaking to Elijah, and we see how he feels about Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, "'Is that you, you troubler of Israel?' I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel." It's on, right? Like the showdown is set, you meet me here, bring all your people and I'm going to show up and we're going we're to have it out basically, right? So the, the, the showdown is set. But catch this, Elijah knows that in this moment his audience, it's, it's not Ahab, the audience, the people that he's really wanting to gauge, it's not even the false prophets of, of, of Baal, these false gods. No, the audience for Elijah is the people of Israel. Elijah's willing to have the showdown. He's willing to come out of hiding. He's willing to engage the, 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 uh, these false prophets in this way because he is fighting for the hearts and lives of the people of Israel that they would turn to, that they would trust, that they would follow after the one true God who's, who's already rescued them, right? He brought them out of slavery from Egypt, led them to the promised land. They have watched, they have seen, they have experienced the blessing of the Lord on their life. And Elijah's trying to help turn them back To help bring them to a point of repentance, to where they will give their heart, their affection, their worship, uh, not to these false gods, but to the one true God. Elijah's trying to call them back to repentance. And we see this uh, because of the question that Elijah gives to Israel, because he turns and addresses all Israel at Mount Carmel. And this is the question, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. That's a hard question. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. It's decision time. It's decision time for Israel. They have tried to have it both ways long enough. They are living in the promised land. They refer to themselves as God's chosen, God's blessed, but yet they're starting to worship these false gods and goddesses. God had commanded them, you shall have no other gods before me. You won't create graven images or false images and worship them. They've done both of those as they've chased these false gods and goddesses. And so this, this is reckoning. Elijah's bringing this, this point of reckoning where they, it, it's, again, it's decision time. It's not that necessarily that he's, he's looking to them to, to consider all their past actions, although that's part of it, but this is more. What's going to be your future loyalty, your future allegiances? Are you going to turn back to the one true God, are you going to follow after Baal? Are you going to follow after Asherah? For a moment, they're speechless. For a moment, there's no response. This is a question that came to me when I just graduated college, uh, not the follow-after bail part, but the how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. It's a question that came to me j- just after college because it was a, a time where like, I-, I knew Christ, I knew the gospel, I-, I knew the hope that he brings to any and to all that put their hope and their faith and their trust in him. But if, if you've heard kind of my ex- extended telling of my story with Jesus, this was a season a- a- of life for me where... Um, yeah, again, I believe I was a follower of Christ, but, uh, but in my daily living, the, the actions that I was taking, the decisions that I was making, I was just nearsighted and blind, really forgotten that I had trusted my life to Christ, and a, a way to describe it is that season of my life felt like a spiritual drought, right? It's just a spiritual drought. There, there's no vitality, no life-giving source, no transformation happening, no fruit happening in my life, just a spiritual drought, just barren and dry. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, ever had a season of life? Maybe that's where you're describing yourself right now, just a, a just a spiritual drought. And, and, and that for me it happened when I was, was just out of college because it was a season of life where I was feeling like faith, Christianity. Um really that it was it was just an opinion and one that I held loosely. Now, now, that being said, it was, it was an opinion that I held loosely that I did allow to have influence on my life in a lot, of different way, a lot of different ways, but it was one that I was starting to hold loosely, I guess that's a better way of saying it, starting to hold it loosely because uh, I just couldn't shake this question, what does it matter? Like, what is faith? What is following Christ? What does it matter? Because I couldn't see a difference in my life because, again, spiritual drought. And so I was kind of, you know, just kind of being distant from those around me. I just couldn't, like, what's, what does faith matter? And does Christianity really matter? Or, again, is it just an opinion that I've allowed uh, influence over my life? And if it is just an opinion, maybe there are other opinions or worldviews or perspectives that I need to consider. And so it got to a point, am I going to be turning towards God or am I going to turn away from Him? Now, let me say this, because many of you, like you've you've known me since before college, and so you're like, David, I didn't see this happening in your life. I'll say this. My turning away from God, I think I still would have uh, expressed a cultural Christianity. And by that, I mean I would probably still showed up at church. I still would have had a spot in a pew, but my faith would have been extremely compartmentalized. It would have been relegated to maybe a Sunday morning expression of it, and that's it. No notion of, of how... Uh, faith Christ uh, the gospel his word his instruction should impact my daily living impact how I love the Lord impact how I love those around me what I want to do with my life like all that would have been pushed aside compartmentalized where my faith would have been just a Sunday morning expression of it and so that would have been a way that I would have uh, turned away from the Lord but maybe still kind of reap those cultural benefits right of kind of playing playing the, the game in the deep south of being connected to a church and so for me, it just got to this question of, am I going to turn away from him or, or, or turn towards him? And it was, uh, again, a moment where I, I could have very easily stayed in that spiritual drought. And had I stayed there, there wouldn't have been much fruit in my life. And maybe it could have been a fair question. Have you ever been a follower of Christ? Uh, because of just there wasn't anything in my life that would have been pointing or giving evidence that I was one. Now, that said, thankfully, it's in this season where God began to show and convict me of my sin, where the Holy Spirit began uh, teaching me about just pride and how I had so often thought that I was better than I really was and maybe even better than others. And, and, and the Holy Spirit began to show me about apathy and indifference towards God's Word and how I, you know, heard it but just put it to the distance, put it at arm's length and just put it out of sight and out of mind, just apathy towards what God's Word had commanded me to do. Now, with the Holy Spirit, conviction in my life, and confession, repentance, that's why I do say I was was still a follower of Christ, still a Christian in this moment, because just feeling God's hand on me, God's corrective of me. Uh, But ultimately, it came back to this question. Do I believe in who God says he is, and what God says he has done? Do I believe that in my life? Is he God in my life? And if so, I must follow him. Does that question ever come to you? Has that question ever come to you? Or maybe is it coming to you this morning, right? Is the Christian faith for you an opinion for you? Or is it a truth that you follow? I think, I think there's so many reasons, so many reasons that we can be tempted to treat uh, Christianity or treat the faith as an opinion, all right? There's so many reasons that we can, for, for sure, right? Brokenness of other Christians, ineffectiveness of ministries, or the hypocrisy of modern evangelicalism, like wh- whatever, that, wh- whatever that phrase has come to me. We can use all these failings as reasons to treat Jesus as just another opinion. Now, I don't know if we'd say it like that, but we might say, I'm, I'm glad you're living your truth with Jesus, that's just not my truth, and so that might be how we express it but but there it's it's an opinion right it's it's we're, we're treating it as an opinion one that we can pick up or, or leave or lay aside and so we have all these excuses or, or failings that we use as excuses to help us avoid the pressing question that God is wanting to ask us all along am I God in your life am I God in your life or am I just another option am I just another opinion You see, sometimes when we hit a spiritual drought in our life, we so often want to blame a context, blame the failings of others, yet we fail to take responsibility and see how so often we're the ones who turn the water off. When we started treating God, His command, and His word as mere options, as mere opinions that we can pick up and lay down whenever we want. So if there's a drought in our life, are we giving our allegiance to another? Because if the Lord is God, we're called to follow Him. If the Lord is God, we're called to follow him. And so often when that question comes in stark black and white terms like it does in the text, and like we're hearing it pop off the text this morning, you know, when it comes in stark black and white terms in our life, oftentimes we too can be left speechless with no response, just as the Israelites. Now, if you've heard this story before, you know that this interaction with Elijah and the prophets, it doesn't end with this question, no, Elijah gets his showdown. Uh, They meet at Mount Carmel, and they decide on this, um, essentially a fire-making challenge. Uh, The prophets of Baal and Asherah and Elijah, they will both uh, build altars, put a sacrifice on top of it, and then they're going to pray. And whichever God answers by sending fire down to consume the sacrifice, all will know that that is the one true God. And so, uh, sure enough, it happens. The uh, the prophets of Baal and Asher they go first. They're praying like all day long, trying to get their God to answer. And uh, and their God doesn't re- respond. It does not not uh, does not reply. And Elijah, um, just like. I don't know who goes, I was gonna say old school, but he just like starts trash talking, (laughs) like starts making fun of them, like maybe your God's asleep, maybe pray louder, maybe you'll wake him up. I mean he's essentially just trolling them the entire time. And so like eventually they they give up, they quit, and they say, all right, well then then you go, Elijah. And so Elijah uh, rebuilds the altar, puts a sacrifice on top of it, and then he uh, kind of raises the stakes even more he says let's let's pour water over it and he just soaks the whole uh, altar with water and to where there's so much water that it overflows the altar and even fills in this moat that they had built around the altar then elijah prays one time And God immediately sends his fire down. It consumes the sacrifice, burns so hot, so intense, so complete that it even dries up all the water that had filled in the moat. It was such a powerful response from God that it brought a powerful response from the people. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. They recognized the truth of of, of who he is, and they turned away from Baal. No longer are there two options. No longer are there two opinions. There is but one true God that they're to love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And from here, uh, the fallout and the reaction is pretty swift. Uh, The fallout, the false prophets were immediately put to death for, for leading all Israel astray. But then God sends a rain cloud, and it's not just one, it's a whole uh, storm that comes in and gives life-giving water back to the land. The drought is over, and Israelites have turned back to the one true God. In Matthew 14, it's the exact opposite situation. The disciples are not dealing with a drought, the disciples are actually in the middle of a storm, and it's a storm that they're in, not because of disobedience to Jesus, but actually because of their obedience to Jesus. Jesus had had commanded them to to cross a lake, and they're trying to cross a lake, and now they might drown because of it. I want you to see this story. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, we're going to start in verse 22 as you're making your way there. I'll kind of set the scene for us as we get into it. Uh, This happens right after uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000, if you've ever heard that story. He miraculously feeds masses of people all at once. And uh, it was such a cool interaction, such a cool instance that all the people were like, man, if he can do this for our lunch, think of what he could do for our country. So like, they want to put Jesus in charge of everything. Uh, They want to have the revolt against Rome, put Jesus in charge of it all. And uh, that that wasn't Christ's plan, and he doesn't want that to happen. And uh, it was such kind of a hyped up moment and the disciples weren't exactly kind of settling down the down the crowd it kind of gives an indication that maybe the disciples were enjoying that a little bit more than they should uh but jesus is like no that's that's not what we need to do so he tells the disciples to cross the lake he says hey cross the lake and i'll catch up with you and that's where we come in the text matthew uh, chapter 14 verse 22 immediately jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so, again, you see what's happening, right? He's told them to cross the lake. They follow his instructions. They are doing the very thing that Jesus has called them to do, yet now they are caught in a storm. And notice, like, half the disciples are experienced fishermen, and so, like, they're comfortable out on the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. Um, but it's, it's big enough to where when squalls hit, like, it's, it's dangerous. They knew they, were in a, they knew they were in a life or death situation out there uh, in the boat facing that storm. Once more, and we've talked about this before at, at Grace City. Remember, the, uh, the Jewish people, they were a desert people. So they have a love-hate relationship with water. Uh, they, they love it because obviously they need water for their crops, for their livestock, and just for their daily living. And so, uh, so whenever, uh, whenever gentle rains come and rewaters the land, like it sparks all this imagery and, and even worship language about how God is our living water, right? That, that he um, is the spring of life. So there's a, a love relationship with water. But also, in the desert, when a storm pops up, even if it's miles and miles away, can generate a flash flood that can come, that can wipe out an entire flock of sheep, that can wipe towns off off the face of the earth, right? And so, uh, flash floods kill and kill quickly, so much so to where tumultuous water takes on really evil imagery. And they even develop myths around it, where fast-moving water uh, was considered like a almost like a portal or like a door where spirits could go back and forth from Hades or the underworld. And so with that context, maybe it helps you understand a little bit more of the disciples' reaction in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So they think it's a ghost, right? And I mean, I, I get it. even if you didn't have the context, kind of understand it. You're not, not expecting to see a person walking on the water, right? So they, they think it's, it's a ghost. They're terrified uh, of what they are seeing. It can't really be Jesus walking on the water. But what's happening in this moment, just like when God consumed the sacrifice of Elijah, Jesus is showing and demonstrating to them that he is more than a rabbi. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He is God in the flesh. And he demonstrates that that to them here in this moment. Now, he's going to show it time and time again. Right? He's going to show it with all the miracles that he's performed. He's going to show it on the cross where he takes our sins onto himself and he makes a way for our our forgiveness. He makes a way for us to have right standing before the Lord. And he's going to demonstrate that that action happened when he conquers the grave and comes out of the tomb and says, when you trust in me, you too can have life again. All right, So he's going to show time and time again that he is God the Son, accomplishing the plan of God and the one through whom we can have life and have life to the full. He's going to show it over and over and over again. But here, out on this water, he's showing he has power even over the elements of nature because he is God in the flesh. Peter looks up, sees Jesus, comprehends all that is happening, and he has just an incredible response. One really, he responds in really dramatic fashion. Look at at Peter's response, and let me know if you think this would be your response, right? Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Don't think that would have been my response. I'm like, hey, cool, it's Jesus. I'm in the boat. (laughs) You know, like that's where I would say, he looks up, he sees Jesus, and he's like, it's him. When it it says, if it's you, like the original language more, it's kind of like, since it's you. Okay, since it's you, Jesus, tell me to follow you. Peter here is, 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 is kind of... He's doing a good job of of, of meshing things together that he knows about Jesus. He does know Jesus is his rabbi. He's a disciple. Jesus is his rabbi. And here's the thing about a rabbi-disciple relationship. A disciple always follows his rabbi. Wherever the rabbi goes, the disciple goes. He literally tries to walk in the footsteps of his rabbi. To this day, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can watch rabbis walking through uh, the old town, and there will be a line of disciples right behind them, walking right where they are walking, because they're trying to soak up everything from their rabbi. And so Peter knows that Jesus is his rabbi, that he's supposed to follow him wherever he goes. But also in this moment, he sees more than just a rabbi. He's God in the flesh. And so since you're Jesus, since you're my rabbi, since you're my God, tell me to follow you. I'm going to follow you. And so Peter knows, hey, he's, he's answered this question, right? You are my God, and I am going to follow you, even if it means it's time for me to get out of the boat. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and and, and for a moment right there, it was, it was it was looking good. He's taking those steps towards Jesus, but then look what happens. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him, You of little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? And when they climbed down into the boat, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." So again, he's he's doing it first, right? He gets out of the boat. He's walking on water, and 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 Peter's just a man. He's not God in the flesh. He's a fisherman from Capernaum, but yet he's getting this opportunity. He's getting this amazing instance where he actually gets to walk with Jesus on the water. I mean, talk about an incredible moment that, that Jesus has, has trusted Peter with. And think about that in this text, right? There's so many different expressions of, of faith in this, right, and, and lack of faith. Peter's faith in Jesus, you know, taking his eyes off of Jesus, like there's so many different sermon illustrations you could pull out of this, but, but we do see in this in, in, instance that Jesus is, is trusting Peter with this opportunity. When, when Peter's like, look, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come, come, get out of the boat, and come to me and so peter does just just that he he gets up and he gets out of the boat you know jesus could have responded no peter just stay there peter you're gonna sink eventually just stay there you know you know he could have that that could have been his response but he says no come out of the boat jesus is is trusting peter in in, in this to, to get out of the boat he's entrusting this experience to peter and so Peter does it, he gets out of the boat, he starts walking towards Jesus, but then yes, he sees the wind, he sees the chaos, he sees the storm, his fear increases, and he begins to doubt. The Greek word for doubt here is distazo, and that's just a fun word to say, distazo. Um, so uh, let's say it all together, it's like the first time we've ever done it at Grace City, on three, one, two, three, Distazo. Yeah, so uh, at its, I just felt like we need to wake everybody up. So distazo, uh at its core, uh, one of the core words is dis, which, which means twice. It gives, uh, it gives the indication of someone trying to, to follow two paths simultaneously, trying to co- go two directions simultaneously. Also gives the indication of someone trying to serve two masters simultaneously. And suddenly, we are all the way back to the same question of Mount Carmel how long will you waver between two opinions if the lord is god fallen peter gets out of the boat and he's got two opinions there's, there's, there's two, there's, there, there only should have been one, but like one opinion, one option, Jesus is God. He's called me to follow him. I'm going to follow him. He's going to sustain. He's going to empower. He's entrusted me in this moment. I'm out of the boat, and I'm following him. That's one option. That's one opinion. The other one is that he's not Jesus. He's not God in the flesh, and he really hasn't entrusted me to this, and so those are two opinions, and Peter gets out of the boat, and for a moment, he's all in. For a moment, he's like, this is Christ. I'm coming after you. You're the one that I want. I'm not going to let any anything take me off of that? And then everything around starts to creep in, and this second option starts to come into his head, and, and then, and then the, the doubt sets in, and it's trying to follow two ways at one time. It's trying to follow, he's it, trying, to, trying to entertain just this other option, and he begins to sink, and he begins to doubt, and he begins to, to be overtaken by the wind, overtaken by the waves. It's the second option, and he wavers between the two. If the Lord is God, follow him. Follow him now. Like we we can't we can't beat up on Peter in this moment, right? Like because, man, I mean, he got to walk on water with Jesus. He got to walk on water with Jesus, and it was great, and everything was going good. And then the storm happened, and he began to sink. And yes, that was a failure. But even in the failure, he does something correct. Even in the failure, he does something correct. He still cries for Jesus to rescue him. Because he could have said. Andrew, throw me a line. Thomas, I'm hurt here. Like he could have called out for all his other guys. He could have called out all the, all the other disciples in the boat. Hey, I'm sinking. But no, he still looked forward. He still looked to Christ. Jesus, rescue. Like he knows, he still, he still held on to this faith there and expressed his faith. You are God and you alone are who saves. So even in the sinking, he still expresses a faith. Christ, help me. And what happens? Jesus replies, Jesus lifts him up out of the water, they go back into the boat, they're all in the boat, and then all of them reach the same conclusion. Truly, you are the Son of God. They see Jesus as God, and and, and all the disciples, they see Jesus as God, and they will follow him where he leads, all of them save Judas, right? And they they will respond to whatever call that he gives, whatever uh, call, command that he gives to them, they are going to follow, they are going to obey. Now, do they do that perfectly throughout their entire life? No. They're sinful. They're human, right? They're, they're a flaw, just like you and me. But over the trajectory of their life, you can see that they have answered this question for themselves. Christ is the Lord our God, and we will follow him. And so it's a question that comes to us this morning. How long will you waver between two opinions? And, and let me say this. I don't know which it is for you, um, which situation it is for you. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the spiritual drought that we talked about earlier maybe it's the spiritual drought that you've unknowingly contributed to or maybe you, you knowingly contributed to it still maybe it's it's a storm that jesus is calling you to walk through okay and, and so it could be that situation but hear, hear me when i say this e- either one whether it's the drought or the storm the the first response the first reaction is the same the first thing we do is we cling to the grace that christ has given like, grace is his, his unmerited love, his unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But just Jesus loves you. God loves you. And that's the first thing we anchor on to. That's the first thing we hold on to. God, when, when, how I'm going to survive this drought, how I'm going to survive this storm, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be reminded that God loves me and his grace is there for me. So that means I can come back to him regardless of how far I've walked away. That means I can return back to him regardless of how apathetically or indifferently I might have Treated him or his commands, his grace is there for me. We see it in the text with Israel. As soon as they turn back, the Lord's rain, the, the rain comes down. God is there, welcoming them home. And so, the first thing we need to anchor onto hold on to is his grace is there for us. You can turn back to him. You can cling to him. You can cry out to him. Where, however far you've run, whatever mistakes you've made, or however apathetically you have treated him, God says, come home. My grace is here. It is sufficient for you. That's the first thing we do. We hold on to that grace. The second thing that we do the second, the, the, the second thing is to realize that now because of the grace that he's been given, in response to the grace that he's been given, we're now called to participate in that grace. So God gives us something to do, and the thing that we do in response is we follow him. We don't just say, yay, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming your grace, and then go about our merry way. No, it's, it's, God, your grace is for me. It's changed my life. It's rescued my life. Now, God, I want to follow you as a result. So we follow him. We obey his commands. That means we engage spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines like reading his word, praying, gathering together for worship, plugging into a church home, you know, lament, worship. Praise, solitude, all of these are spiritual practices and disciplines that we are called to cultivate that keep our hearts close to the Lord, that drive our roots deep. So, that even if a spiritual drought comes, we're still being nourished because we've developed deep roots in Him. Even if the storm comes, it's an anchor that we can hold on to because we've cultivated these disciplines and these practices that can help us weather those storms. And, and so, these are all things that we are called to do and engage. It's, it's loving those whom God has placed in your life, it's serving your neighbor, it's, it's you know, being a voice for those who have none, being an advocate for the marginalized and the, and the displaced. All of these are things that we are called to practice and put into place. And again, not done to earn his love, not done to earn his forgiveness, not done to earn his grace, but all of these are symptoms of a life that have answered the question, that have answered the question he is asking. If the Lord is God in your life, follow him. Follow me. It's a way that we rest in the grace that he's given and we participate in the work that he has called us to do. And it's the way that you answer, he is Lord of my life and I will follow him. There's a participatory grace there. I think there's a participatory grace even when it's it's storms in our life that we're experiencing even when we're in the midst of obeying Christ. Um, because th- there's, there's a grace that we cling to in that, okay, he's, he's trusting me with this moment, and I don't know why he's trusting me with this moment, I don't know why he's trusting me with this hardship or with this difficulty, but he's my rabbi and I'm his disciple, so I'm going to follow him in and through this storm and in and through this difficulty. So when, there's, when you're on the water and there's the wind and the waves, it's there where it's, okay, Jesus, help me still participate in what you're doing, and by that I mean God, help me to take a step closer to you. While well, I'm in the midst of this, season, this struggle, in the midst of this hardship, don't let me give weight to any other voice that might say there's another way. Don't let me give any, uh, uh, any weight to any other influence that might say, no, 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 there might be something else, because then I'll be double-minded. Then I'll be trying to go two ways at one, in one direction. God, when I'm, when I'm in the middle of this storm, God, help me to pursue you and you alone. Help me to lean on the spiritual disciplines you've called us to cultivate that will hold us close and to help us take another step towards Him. And in that way, you continue to declare and demonstrate and live out the truth of your confession, that truly, He is the Son of God, one that we can resolutely, one in whom we can resolutely trust and place our hope in, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our situation. You see, so, so many times, whether we, whether we realize it or not, um, whether it's a spiritual drought uh, that we're going through, or maybe it's a storm of life. What so oftentimes feels like a crisis of faith is sometimes a crisis of will. What feels like a crisis of faith, in reality, sometimes is a crisis of will. Like the Israelites, they, they knew who the one true God was, but they turned away from him. They ignored him. Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God, yet in that moment he allowed his fears to overshadow his hope. And so what these spiritual disciplines do is they help uh, they help anchor us deep they help hold us close and they help us continue to engage the lord in perhaps ways that that we simply have not done so yes in a spiritual drought so many times we think the spiritual disciplines might be opinions or options that we can leave or or, or, t- or set down but in, and when we do we then cry about the spiritual drought that we have created for ourselves but no these are, are disciplines that can help us stay closer to the lord and again help the the roots roots go deep and a spiritual storm as well, uh, it's, it's there we again practice these spiritual disciplines, maybe even the discipline of suffering well, trusting in the goodness of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God to see us through the moment and to trust in Him with the outcome. This, this sermon has been, um, I, was, I was talking with April about this two or three nights ago. When I was putting this together and just kind of seeing the direction of it, um, like, it's, it's, a, it's a sermon that I would say, uh, I, I hope, like, 90% of my sermons um, are focused in on God and God's work on our behalf and what God does in our life. Like, that's where I want it to break. Th- this sermon, I think, is, is probably more weighted towards our personal responsibility. We've, we've talked about who God is and how he works and how, how he moves in our life, but there's, this is part of it. And, and and we need to also see, okay, God, you've you've gifted me, you've, you've called me, you've created me with a mind and a brain and a will. God, help me take responsibility uh, for my relationship with you and that you've given grace, you've enabled all this to happen, but God, help me also with my life realize that you were asking me this question. You were asking me this question, am I God in your life? And if so, help me to follow you. And so my hope and prayer for this, is, this morning is that we would— be able to answer that question, that we would see Jesus as the Lord our God, that his way is true, that his way is right, that his way is restorative, that he is the living water that satisfies our soul, that he is the good shepherd that walks us through the valley of the shadow of death, that he is worthy of our trust, that he is worthy of our devotion, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is worthy of our lives. And so we will end asking the same question that we began with, and then we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer that question in the most honest way that you can, and only, it's truly a question that only you can answer. But hear the question once more. How long will you waver between two opinions if the Lord is God Follow Him, Lord God, help us. Help us in answering that question. I, I don't know uh, where people are are coming uh, in into this church where where they stand in relationship to answering that question, Lord God, but help us to look inside our own heart, inside of our own soul, to see, God, are we treating you as an opinion? Are we treating you as an option, one of many that this world has to offer? Or God, are we seeing you as the one through whom we have life and hope and forgiveness and salvation and restoration? God, do we look at you and say and declare that truly you are the Son of God? So help us in our worship of you. Help us in our response to you. Help us to not deceive ourselves any longer, Lord God. Help us... Um, to, to, to see the grace that you've, been give, that you've given to us and allow that uh, to be what moves us, to take responsibility and follow your word and follow your command and respond to the grace that you've, you've given. So God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work you did on the cross on our behalf. God, we ask for you to help us to continue to a- uh, ask and answer this question in the most honest way that we can. And God, our steps in response. God, we love you.